Please listen as I read from John chapter 18. Apologize for the error there in the bulletin. This is John 18. I'll begin with verse 1. I'll read through verse 18 and then drop down for verses 25 through 27. This is God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? (coughs) They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. They led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now, it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Dropping down to verse 25. Now Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. Therefore they said to him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Taking a few weeks to introduce you to Peter, 
I plan to preach from his first letter, and I want you to understand some of Peter's experiences, things that shape his life and come to shape his, his letter that he writes. First, we saw how Peter came to Jesus. He came to faith. We have found the Messiah. Next, we looked at Peter's confession. Where shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Today, we're going to look at Peter's weakness and his trial. In the words of Jesus, he was sifted like wheat. From this, I want to lay in front of you that genuine Christians may falter in their faith. Therefore, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. <clears throat> To begin with, I want to consider how Peter goes from the top of the mountains down into the valleys of despair. There's one extreme that goes to another, and it seems to go oh so quickly. Peter and the other disciples were, were really at a high point in, this, in the ministry of Jesus. Just think about it. They were with Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. The crowds were celebrating Jesus' presence. There was a parade that was, uh, uh, was organized, impromptu, that was following and shouting for Jesus. They were taking off their cloaks and laying it down in front of Jesus, a sign of respect and of honor. And as they went, they shouted, oh, oh the shouting that they were offering up, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. In this context too, remember that these disciples had been with Jesus and sat in the intimacy of the upper room. They celebrated the Passover with the Messiah, the Lamb of God that is pictured in that Passover festival. And there they received and enjoyed the sweet fellowship of the first communion celebration. Jesus took bread and broke it and gave the cup of the new covenant. He was demonstrating to them how he would be their sacrifice, that his body and blood would be the accomplishment of the promised redemption for them. And they went out from there singing a psalm, Psalm 118 that we've been singing today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Open the gates of righteousness. I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Just think of how how great of a mountaintop experience this was for the disciples. And it is in this context that Jesus foretold that one of his disciples was a traitor. One of his closest followers would betray him to death, referring to Judas. But all of the disciples, including Peter, said, surely not I, O Lord, surely not I. But Jesus knew Judas 
calling him even the son of perdition. He knew that Judas would turn him over to the Jewish leaders. And he said, too, that while there would be one that would be a traitor, that all of the rest of the disciples would would run away. They would desert him. And once again, the disciples rejected this possibility. No, 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 we would never do that, Jesus. And listen to what Peter said. He proudly claimed that even if everybody else forsakes you, Lord Jesus, I will never betray you. Even if I have to go to death itself, I will not betray you. To which Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But even so, Peter maintained, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. To which Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Fast forward then to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the darkest of night, Judas came. The soldiers torches and weapons. And with a kiss, Judas betrayed Jesus to be arrested. To his credit, Peter acted on his previous words, words from the very night before. He jumps forward, he pulls out his sword and and stands for Jesus He swung his sword and he cut off the ear of one of the servants that was there. But Jesus quieted Peter. He rebuked him. I will drink this cup. I will do this work that is before me. Peter, put your sword away. And with a a firm but gentle rebuke. Peter and all the rest of the disciples ran away. And Jesus gave himself up to the soldiers who bound him and led him away to a mock trial, to humiliation, to the death of the cross. All of this in the space of hours, from the heights of that triumphal entry and the celebration of the Passover and the Lord's Supper to the singing of the glorious words of Psalm 118, of the triumph of, of God over his enemies, to running away, seeing the Savior bound by the soldiers. Peter, along with the other disciples, went from that mountain of joy to the depths of despair. Let me pause here and just apply this first thought. Genuine Christians may falter in faith. 
you need to come to terms with that, especially if you have a notion that the Christian life is one that is one maintained intensity and purity of faith in Jesus Christ. That's a false view of the Christian life. And it actually betrays a false view of your salvation. We'll come back to this in a moment, but the false view is that you are saved by the intensity and purity of your faith. You are not. You are not saved by the purity of your faith. You're saved by Christ. And by Christ alone, our faith will often waver. There's a frailty about our faith that goes goes up and downs from mountaintop experiences down into the depths of despair. Genuine Christians may falter in their faith. You may falter in your faith. You may falter even though you think you're on the top of a mountain when everything is going your way. You may have enjoyed sweet fellowship with Jesus. You may have tasted the genuineness of that faith and the promises of God that your sins are forgiven. There may be times when you grasp this in wonderful, powerful ways. And yet... Within hours, fall into the darkness of despair, much like Peter and the disciples did. It leads to the sobering warning that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 10. If you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. Take heed. Your confidence is resting in your sense of standing firm. And if your sense is bound up in your own ability to do that, take heed. For Christians may falter in their faith. And in this application, let me hasten as well to say, you may falter. You honestly will falter, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to fall away from him. And this is what Jesus communicated to Peter. Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. What glorious words those are that Jesus himself would say to humble sinners, faulty, frail, failing sinners, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. As I said, your salvation has never been based upon your ability to hold on to Jesus. Your salvation is based upon Jesus alone and his promise to hold on to you. Your faith is genuine, but it will not ever in this life be pure and undefiled. In this life we do falter, but Jesus has prayed for us. He has prayed for you, and so you will persevere to the end. Thus, out of 
this experience, the mountaintops and the depths of despair, Peter will come to write in his first letter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. There's that word inheritance again, right? (laughs) To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I look forward to meditating more directly on those words, but hear them in the context of Peter's failure, of how he in this trial was refined in his faith and came more more sincerely, more, more desperately, more honestly to depend upon the one and only way of salvation, and that is Jesus. He is the one who keeps us and gives us an, an inheritance which will never be taken away. Praise God for that because we know the tops of the mountains and the depths of despair. So let's think about some of the elements of, of Peter's weakness. These two are going to be uh, important aspects for us to consider because we'll find ourselves in here, but we'll hear more about them in Peter's first letter. The first element of Peter's weakness is the sin of pride. Peter thought that, uh, that he was the rock. Jesus named him that. <laughs> and uh, it's part of Peter's character. That there's, this, uh, there's a boldness about Peter that, that Christ shapes so that he would be an apostle and one that, that proclaims that gospel truly and faithfully to the end. But Peter came to think of himself as the rock instead of Jesus. Thought he was that unmovable servant willing to go to death itself for Jesus. But his confidence was misplaced. He stood on the shifting sands of his own ability. He ought to have been standing upon the rock of Jesus. So when trouble came, those shifting sands betrayed Peter and he melted away. Hendrickson calls this the unknown self. We can deceive ourselves. We can come to think of ourselves as as being immovable in our faith and really never come to grips or never realize the pride that is at the uh, at the foundation of, of that presupposition. So out of pride, Peter blurted out his devotion to Jesus. While we admire his devotion, we applaud that and, and we pray that we would each be have an eagerness and a fervency in our devotion. It was misplaced. 
And think of how, in this context, it was relatively easy to make these professions. Remember the mountaintop that they were on right now? There wasn't any opposition. In fact, they felt the crowds rallying behind Jesus. This was an easy time to say, yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you. Uh, I'll go with you wherever you're going. But it was easy at that point. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the entire situation changes. The triumphant Messiah, the king that is acknowledged by the crowds, is arrested and he's led away bound with ropes to be tried by the religious leaders and then the civil leaders and then to be shouted down by the crowds. And Peter, instead of standing beside Jesus, was rebuked. His head must have been reeling. He had taken pride in his own position, in his own profession, in his nearness to Christ, in the heady experience of being part of that intimate circle. Lots of things that could contribute to this attitude of pride. And that's something to think about for us, isn't it? Pride can take many different forms. Pride in your own profession of faith. Pride in your ability to answer every difficulty that comes along. Pride in in a history where you you have had successes. Whether the Lord has done great things through you. Pride takes many different forms. So the question to ask is, have you misplaced your confidence? Have you measured your relationship to God based on your own accomplishments rather than humbly and always seeing that it has to be Christ? Pride can start small and take root. And so take heed if you think you stand lest you fall. The second element of Peter's weakness I'll identify as his isolation. Jesus had warned Peter and his initial reaction was to run away, but in the dark of night, once more uh, to his credit, Peter comes to his senses. He and Uh, The other disciple uh, uh, we would identify as John, he's unnamed here, that's the way John refers to himself. Uh, Peter and John turn around and they follow the soldiers in the crowds to where Jesus was being held and tried. John records that he was able to go on in, that by uh, by some level of knowledge of... uh, of identification or uh, some credentialing, or or, uh, he doesn't say exactly that he knows someone there. He's able to go in. Peter's left outside and is not able to be be allowed in until John comes back and says, oh, he's with me. And then Peter's able to go on. And then John, it appears, could and did go on into 
where things were happening. And once more, Peter's left outside in the courtyard. And he's surrounded by those very same soldiers that he'd seen out in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's alone there. It's quite literally in the camp of the enemy. And in situations like that, just imagine how certain fears and uncertainty would begin to swirl and grow larger and larger. I like the way one devotional, the table talk puts it, it says, one might wonder whether Peter would have denied his Lord if he had not been alone. Sometimes we bear up under temptation when we have others with us for support. But nevertheless, Peter was left alone in the courtyard and to his own folly. The first element of his weakness was a sin of pride. This is more of a situational setting. And yet it is good for us to pause and take note of this. That in isolation, that there are tendencies that are common. And part of the tendency in isolation is that we become weaker to face the temptation that is assailing us. And there is truth to this. You might be able to think back on your own life and identify certain periods where I was alone. And in that isolation that your mind goes to dark places, you begin to doubt the promises of God. You begin to uh, be identifying things about yourself that are ugly. You consider entertaining a temptation rather than standing firm against it. There are all manner of things that can happen when you're isolated. And it's good for you to take note of that and to answer that isolation by seeking out godly fellowship. And to recognize a tendency when in temptation to isolate yourself. And it may seem like you are 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 swimming against the tide at this point. You know what I mean by that? All of the water is rushing this way. And the tendency is to just go along with it. You wash away out, away from fellowship. You need to press against that so that you are not isolated and deliberately seek out Christian fellowship. Someone that will stand with you and beside you and help you reason through the darkness that you are facing. It speaks to the importance of having close Christian friends that will help bear you up in the midst of trial. But Peter is left alone in the darkness, in the courtyard, surrounded by enemies, and to his own folly. And I would add a third element here, not only his folly, but the fear of man that is evidenced by Peter. For all of Peter's boasting, isn't it ironic that the first person that confronts him 
prompting a denial is a servant girl. <laughs> it wasn't one of the armed soldiers that came up that drew his sword and pushed Peter back against the wall and said, you were one of Jesus' disciples, weren't you? And you might think, well, in that case, Peter would be brave. No, it was a servant girl. Weren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Oh, no, 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 not me. Not me. The Gospel of Mark and of Luke also, all of the Gospels go over this and fill in some details. You can go and read uh, the, the perspective that, that Peter shares in Mark is, is, is remarkable. Remember Mark wrote likely hearing the preaching of Peter. So in Mark, <clears throat> there's this interesting point. In chapter 14, he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went outside on the porch and the rooster crowed. You see, it's going to crow again in, in a moment. <clears throat> but even at the very first denial of Jesus, the rooster crows. And Peter doesn't heed it yet. It comes, uh, or there, out on the porch, as Mark relays it, is another man who confronts him. This man was also with Jesus. He is one of them, are the words of this next man. A more direct uh, accusation that comes against Peter. And if Peter's heart wasn't beating rapidly before, it must have been beating out of his chest at this point. He becomes more and more entangled in the lie that he is telling and the denial that is wrapping him up. And so his second denial is accompanied with an angry oath. I do not know the man. God is my witness. It doesn't say what the oath is but he adds firmness to his denial by an oath. And here, as we turn back to John at this point, he comes back into the courtyard, maybe fearing that running away would incriminate him further and not knowing where to turn. And now there's the rumors and the whispering and the finger pointing that is going on. And finally, another servant one that's identified as a relative of Malchus that presses even further as if he was there. Did I, because he was there, did I not see you in the garden with him? An even more specific accusation. And Peter vehemently denied again. And immediately the cock crowed again. That first crowing hadn't registered on Peter, but this time everything came together. The words say, Luke 22, the words had not even been completed. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. 
The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. He feared being found out. He feared for his life. He feared man rather than God. So what should we take from this? It is very sobering to be taught by Peter that our faith falters in this life. It's sobering to note that the the seeming ease at which this happens. It is not an overt, immoral act that, that Peter is committing here. It is, it is his pride and isolation and fear all mixing together to bring about this trial of faith. But one takeaway from this is to be reminded that a trial of faith is not the same thing as falling from faith. This is Peter, not Judas. So Peter comes to write this in his letter. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So one takeaway, an important takeaway, is that while Peter abandoned Jesus, Jesus never abandoned him. I will I have prayed for you, says Jesus. And in the same way, we trust in the faithful and sovereign God and a merciful high priest. As you face the trials and temptations of this life, be strengthened in the knowledge that Jesus cares for you. He prays for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, these trials, as fiery as they may be, ultimately prove the genuineness of your faith. And they refine your faith. And so, though tested by fire, this trial proves and refines your faith, being found to praise, honor, and glory of our great God. You do and will face very trying temptations. You will falter as well. But never give up. Never give up your vigilance and trusting in Christ. Be watchful and careful if you think you stand. Be watchful of those sins that tangled Peter up. Pride, isolation, and the fear of man. Instead of being self-confident, stand firm in the faithful love of Jesus Christ. Remember that he has prayed for you, and remember that he will never 
let one of you fall from his hands. To God alone be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, our great mediator, who has indeed prayed for us. Thank you for the life-giving spirit that not only grants that regeneration of a dead heart, but also enables us to persevere in faith. We thank you, O Lord, that you have come to make your home with us, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell in us, so that though we falter, you are faithful. And Lord, we pray that we too would persevere in that faith based on the grace of Jesus Christ. In, him we pr- in his name we pray, amen. We'll close by singing the last of Psalm 118. It's the uh, E selection. I pray that you might uh, might uh, pray this and sing this with uh, with new ears and eyes, thinking not of uh, uh, of maybe the the glorious triumph as the disciples were thinking about, but the glories of the cross. And the accomplishment of what Jesus has done for us. That you would be able to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Not based on my pride or my ability, but on Jesus. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and sing in it. We stand to sing 118E. <clears throat>